Today on Hungry for Wisdom, we're talking about sharing the gospel, evangelism. I'm your host of the podcast, Pastor Tim Carr, same host as always, and I'm going to be interviewing an evangelist, a missionary, and a pastor named Dustin Myers. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. I'm I'm really, really privileged to be here. This is a sweet setup you got. What a blessing to have you on the podcast. It's episode 21. Turn it up. Welcome to Hungry for Wisdom. This is the podcast for people who want to know what God knows. He hasn't told us everything, but man, he has told us a lot. I'm Dustin, pastor at Grace and Truth. If you want to know what God knows, let's dig in. As always, we appreciate you listening to Hungry for Wisdom and invite you to follow, give a rating, give us five stars and share it. All of that will support the work of World Hope Bible Institute. Today's episode is dedicated to grace and truth community. Thanks, man. Wow. What a great church. We're so appreciative of grace and truth community. Uh, Sonny, how long have you been there? Oh boy, uh, you know, nine years, maybe about nine and a half years. Excellent. Make sure you share this podcast with them. They're going to love it. You think you think my people would enjoy this? I think your people will benefit mm. greatly. Hey, get up on that mic for me. Yeah, you? sorry, sorry. I'm, I'm not clear on the technique here. Excellent, excellent. Well, hey, we like to start our episode with a dose of wisdom. And today we're talking about sharing the gospel, about evangelism. And actually, our dose of wisdom doesn't come from Proverbs. It comes from the book of Colossians, all the way in the New Testament, chapter four. Listen to Paul's instruction He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That's Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Okay, now here we go. Here we go. What a great passage. Well, let me run the controls here. Sorry, I'll, yeah, it's your show, man. I don't know what I'm doing here. Sorry, sorry, just keep your hands to yourself. Yes, sir. All right, well, we just want to encourage everybody to be wise about how we share the gospel. It's not something we do flippantly. It's not something we do miraculously as if it's only for the ninja evangelists who happen to swoop in and just be awesome at this thing. Um, rather, we want to instruct people. How, how do you do this thoughtfully? Uh, one of the reasons I invited you on the podcast today is that as a pastor myself, I want to be a better evangelist. I want to share the gospel with people. And I really want to help my people grow as we reach others with the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and as many Christians will find, like, it's a hard thing, especially if you maybe have grown slack in sharing the gospel and the culture is changing and, and we get isolated in church life. And so all of a sudden we, we feel the call from the spirit to be obedient to Christ's commission. And there's all these hurdles that stand in the way. And I know this is something that you love, that you're passionate about, that God has gifted you in. So I thought it would be great to have you on to help us work through what is evangelism? How do we do this? How do we grow as a church? Well, cool, man. I don't know how much help I can be, but uh, you know, by the grace of God, people kind of show up sometimes and um, present their God problem, right? That's one of the ways we talk. It's like some people get so freaked out. They're like, I, I'm not an evangelist like you. I can't do evangelism. I'm like, well, can you help somebody solve their God problem? They're like, yeah, I can do that. It's like, all right, go help somebody, you know? And so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, God brings up the needs and we just want to be able to, um, you know, field the, the balls that he throws to us, you know? Excellent, man. Well, so would you help us just define the term? 
What exactly is evangelism? Yeah, so we stole that one from Greek. So, you know, there's there's a, a cluster of words that mean, you know, good news. Evangelizo, evangelion, evangelizo, things like that. Um, so we pull evangelism from there. The V comes from Latin because the Latins, the, the Romans like to throw a V and everything. So we wind up with evangelism. But all it means is uh, it means good news. It used to be a term that would, uh, like in pre-Christian times, it would be a term that would refer to um, uh, the return of a conquering king or general or Caesar. And so people would go through the streets after Caesar wins a battle and they would say, the king has arrived, the king has arrived, and he arrives victorious, right? Or if there's a new uh, coronation for a king or something, they would parade through the streets and and they would evangelize. They would say the good news that the king is here and he is victorious. So in Christian times, they they took that very familiar concept and said, hey, we've got a better king and he's won a better victory. And so here is the good news. We, you know, that goes through Middle English and it becomes gospel. And um, so we use that word gospel just to mean, look, the king is here and he's victorious. And so that's uh, the message of Christ, the message of the kingdom of God. It's the fact that Jesus came for us, Right? He did not leave us to our own devices. He did not leave us as, um, as as rebels against him. But while we were sinners, he came to us and he died for us in our place, uh, suffering for sins that he didn't commit, but we did. And after he died, claiming that he was dying for us, he proved that he was right by raising from the dead. Right, And so when he rose from the dead, he was it was like, like a, a divine stamp of approval on everything. Like, yeah, this victory has actually been one, he backed up his claim. And now the, the other part of the good news that sometimes um, we don't think about quite so much is that he went back to heaven, right? Like there's this scene in the, the first chapter of Acts where he ascends and he sits at the right hand of the Father, right? Now, what that means is that he's ruling from heaven and he's in charge of stuff. When he says all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, that doesn't mean he's micromanaging every detail of everything, but we can really say Jesus is in charge and nothing's going to happen outside of his purview. At some point, he's going to come back, and he will rule over every detail of everything, and that's going to be really good because he's a really good king. And why do we need to tell people that? Yeah, well, because we're not born knowing it, first off, right? Like, the um, the, the human heart is, is a dark and tricky place and we're, we're all born into sin and the bible explains why like if you're not familiar with this story guys the uh, uh the way that the the bible relates these events it, it cuts out a lot of stuff in the middle and it says look here's what you need to know god created everything and it was awesome and that's like page one of the bible and then page two of the bible people are like yeah i think i'm gonna try and be god and we took god's stuff and used it for our own purposes turns out we're really bad at it and so where god created a world that was paradise we use that stuff repurpose it and create a world that looks a lot like hell and so that's kind of what we're born into and we're part of that fallen world. And so we're going to, we're going to go and do things that accord with our fallen nature. And it's not going to be serving Christ. It's going to be serving ourselves or our other interests or whatever. And that's everybody's nature. So how do you, how do you tell them the good news that like, Hey, you're not God. That's really good news, right? Cause we're terrible at it. You're not God. Jesus is, and he's offered to save you rather than condemn you for rebelling against him. Well, the only way that, that God has given us to know that information, I should say the uh, the the means that he has appointed for us to find that information out is being told by somebody else. God's very interested in in interpersonal relationships, family, community, things like that, and so he just designed that this message would spread by interpersonal communication. Yeah, so God creates heaven and earth by speaking, yeah, A word to creation. He creates Christians people saved from sin and death and hell by the word of the gospel spoken through his servants. Yeah, and even when Jesus shows up, then the apostle John says, 
here's how I want you to understand Jesus. He is the word of God. He's the living word. So everything that God has to communicate to us about himself, about ourselves and all that, we learn that by looking at and following Jesus. He's the word. So God is a very relational, communicative being, even in himself, right? We, we talk about this, this concept called the Trinity. And, um, you know, there are a lot of factions of religions that don't like this doctrine, but it's essential. It means that, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all one God, and they never had these persons and this one God, he never had a beginning, right? So God has been relating and communicating from eternity past. And so he's invited us into that. And when we communicate with each other, we're showing the image of God in some way. Gotcha. So when we say evangelism, we're, we're talking about sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. When we say about Jesus Christ, that's like a ball of yarn that we, we start to pull on one thread and it just starts to unravel. There's so much going on. I think that can be intimidating. Yeah. We say, hey, Christians, we're supposed to be evangelizing. And even even just as we start talking about it, I think, what I have to include so much information. So if we simplify it and say that the gospel is is about the good news about Jesus Christ, and that's what we're sharing. So now now taking that same principle, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, he says, uh, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, mm-hmm. which that, that word in, in Greek is that literal euangelion. Yeah, if you were to translate that directly, it would it would be, um, he sent me to good news people. Yeah, he, he sent me not to baptize, but to gospelize. Yeah. And, and so I want you to clarify a little bit what what would be not evangelism? That's a bad way to say it. Well, yeah. like if if Paul in this text is well, people are trying to elevate baptism, what are ways that we Christians think we're sharing the gospel that actually aren't sharing the good news about Jesus? Yeah, good question. And and some of these um, are not bad things to do. We just want to make sure that they're like well, baptism. That's a good thing to do. Jesus commanded it, but it's not the same thing as telling somebody the good news, right? So the way that we recreate this mistake a lot of times is we'll invite somebody to come to church with us. That's a good thing to do. That's not telling them, like they they can't get saved from an invite. They get saved from the gospel, right? Um, Another thing is telling somebody that Jesus loves them, that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And we, we leave it there. That's not the good news. That's a good part of, you know, I mean, it's a good truth, but it's uh, it, you can't be saved by believing that. I, there's a guy. Um, if you guys have never seen uh, Paul Washer, he, he's got this hilarious line while he's talking about evangelism. Yeah, somebody comes up and says, "God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life." And it's like the sinner's response is, "Well, I love me and I have a wonderful plan for my life." So it sounds like me and God are on the same page. I'm good to go, <laughs> right? There's no turning away from anything to Christ. So there's a lot of there's a lot of um, partial encouraging messages or or actions that we can commit, such as an invite or whatever, that we will kind of check the box in our mind and say, okay, now I have shared Christ with that person. But what we want to look for is, I just boil it down to three S's, right? Sin, savior, salvation. Have I told this person what separates them from God? That's sin, right? Sin is, I mean, there's, we can get into it if you want. There's a million ways to, to define it. I define it as, you know, the things that we do that God doesn't, right? So what separates us from God? Well, that's sin. Have you told them about that? Who's the savior? And, and, and then salvation, right? Sin, Savior, salvation. And salvation is what does it mean to be saved? What, what is God actually offering people? And what did Jesus do in order to make that offer real and possible and tangible and things like that? So sin, Savior, salvation. A church invite, great thing to do. Not those things. Telling people Jesus loves them, that's a great thing to do. And that's part of the message, but that's not the same thing. Yeah, feeding the hungry or just simply being a good neighbor. Acts of mercy are great and they're, and they're commanded, right? Yeah. Yeah. But that's... That, okay, so I, I've, I've uh, railed on this on 
a, a different podcast. This podcast, you are welcome to rail on things. So, <laughs> Just wow. so you know. Thank you. That's mm. uh, Nobody's ever told me that before. So the, uh, the I've railed on this on another uh, podcast that sounded, it, it rhymed with the name of Hungry for Wisdom, actually. And we were talking about St. Francis of Assisi, right? And he said, preach the gospel at all times. And if worse comes, wor- if worse comes to worse, use words. Or if necessary, use words or whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's that's a missing of the mark because he he was saying there, according tradi- to tradition, that, so the story goes, right? He was saying, every time you go in and feed a hungry person or every time you go and play with a child that doesn't have a father or something like that, you do these good works that God is very much in favor of. Since you're showing people the character of God by doing what he values, you are sharing Christ with them. But that's not the same thing as what as the gospel that we see in the book of Acts. Like, hey, there is a guy named Jesus who's in charge of absolutely everything. And if you're not submitted to him, you're going to be separated from God and from life forever. And he rose from the dead and you need to look to him and repent of your sins and be saved. That's very different than playing soccer with a kid without a dad. Yeah. And which is a good thing to do, totally. but to evangelize is to speak. Yeah. It's to communicate with words about Jesus Christ, who is the word made flesh. Well, and there are some guys that don't even really like the term sharing the gospel, right? They're kind of pushing back against it. And I understand. I mean, you can go too far that direction, but I get what they're trying to guard against. They're saying that, you know, when you say share the gospel, you're talking about something very non-intrusive, something very um, uh, uh, soft in relational terms. Whereas evangelizing is not just holding something out there and seeing if somebody wants it, but actually positively placing a gospel in front of them and calling them to respond. And that's a necessary distinction for us to have in our minds sometimes. Yeah, I think biblical terms would be like proclaim, yeah. declare, preach. Yep. Um, that you can be nice and do those things. And you should. You should be. Um, but yeah, you're right. Sometimes that does kind of soften it. So so let's let's shift since we've got this foundation. So I, I like that. Sin, Savior, salvation. That's what you're communicating with your words. So let's let's turn now and go a bit personal. Who evangelized you? <laughs> a child molester, actually. Um, the the guy that that led me to Christ uh, was he's now in prison for some stuff that he was doing uh, while he was well. Okay, I'll just tell you the story real quick. I was raised in a Christian home. My parents evangelized me since I was a zygote, right? And then they raised me in church. I had you know faithful Sunday school teachers. They clarified the gospel. They clarified, um, you know, biblical doctrine for me, even at a young age. I had a really, really great um, Bible dense Sunday school upbringing. I was raised in a fundamentalist church. And that's, that's one thing that they left with me was like, you know, Bible in my head from a young age. So I had all these ingredients in there, but God hadn't regenerated me yet. Right. I was, I was still just kind of, he was bringing me along. So there I was, 12 years old. I was in youth group, and my youth pastor was also our neighbor. And we used to just go over, and we'd hop the fence and go and hang out at his house all the time. And, uh, you know, we, we thought, great guy. My parents thought, great guy. And I didn't even know any different until a couple of years ago when I see a headline. And I'm like, what? So anyway, we're, uh, we're coming home from a, a service project, and he was driving me home because we were neighbors. And he said to me on the way home, like, listen, man, you got a lot of Bible in your head and you think that that's going to get you to heaven. It's not. And he told me, you don't go to heaven on your parents' gas bill. You have to believe the gospel. And so he just went through it with me. Do you believe all this stuff? And these are things that I had known, but I never thought about like, do I actually believe that? So he forced me to that point of, of decision about like, all right, move or get out of the way, like move towards Christ or just get out of the way. And you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, anyway, yeah, I went home and, and went in my room and, uh, I, I kind of created my own ritual. I was like, all right, so I need to pray and I need to receive Christ. And I, I was expecting some kind of 
experience or whatever after the third time praying like I, I you know i tried once and i was like i don't feel any different so then i got on my knees and put my elbows on my bed and i was praying really hard and oh, i don't feel any different and so you know after the third time i was like all right if god hasn't heard me by now either there's something wrong with me or something wrong with him i think i'm just going to trust that he heard me right yeah. and so that was my first move of faith was god must have heard my cry for salvation mm-hmm. and you know at that point like i said i didn't feel any different i went to school the next day normal life right but in retrospect now looking back i see god doing things after that point in my life that he wasn't doing before i accidentally led somebody to christ uh my first time about i don't know what maybe six months after that and it was over aol instant messenger remember that one i do remember aol i am yeah so i was i aming this girl in my in my school and she was just like what's up with this jesus thing and blah blah blah. and i i remember i probably remember this word for word it's just this crystal clear memory in my head but yeah i just walked her through the sinner's prayer and i was like okay i'm gonna type it and if you agree you type it after me like it was super clunky and it was so funny because i was gonna see her the next day but you know that was so stuff like that started happening so i look back and i'm like okay god god moved he changed something at that point Gotcha. So you've had all these people, and I'm so glad you brought up your parents, and certainly the church you were raised yep. in. You heard the good news spoken, um, and and it's amazing because you. It, it's not a guarantee that every time the gospel is spoken, the person hears has faith. Yeah, it's usually not that case. Not the case. No, usually it's a lot of repeated proclamations of the gospel, especially for people who are around Christians a lot. They're going to hear the gospel frequently. And of course, we we acknowledge the Holy Spirit is the one that really does make someone born again and well, gives yeah. them new life. And, and I always felt like my parents got a little bit gypped by that because, you know, they, they put in so much work to me and my sister and taking care of, of us spiritually. And then, you know, the youth pastor is the guy that gets the, the, the joy of actually seeing the point of conversion and stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's crazy. It, by the way, to, to close the loop on that, um, a couple of years ago, my sister sends me this, uh, this, you know, headline and she's like, dude, look at what's up with our old youth pastor. And he was on trial for transporting girls across state lines for, uh, sexual, for commercial sexual acts. Right. And I'm just like, no way. Like, you know, there's all these accusations coming out these days. The Robbie Zacharias thing had just happened. It was like, no way. Anyway, after a little while, I keep, I go look at the headlines every now and then he pled guilty and he's like, you know, Shoot, man. So a guy, this is the power of the gospel, right? And and how how like some people feel like they're not worthy messengers or, you know, not me. That's for the holy people that, that are good at that. I got led to Christ by a child molester. God used the gospel, the purity of the gospel through somebody who was engaged in absolute evil at the time he was leading me to Christ. That's the power of the gospel. Yeah, that's so sweet. I mean, it really proves the sovereignty of God yep. and the power of his word uh, in often in spite of the messenger. Mm-hmm. We want to be holy messengers. We want to be faithful messengers. Yeah, and we should uh, tremble with fear if we're not. Excellent. But the exactly, gospel's powerful. Yeah. yeah, so so you shared about this girl and sharing the gospel with her through instant messenger. And, and I know you, you know, 20 some years later and see someone who is active in sh- in telling people the good news. You're leading a church where you are training people to share the good news. Can you give us some landmarks along the way from AOL Instant Messenger to today? How did God grow you as an evangelist? Well, the biggest turning point was I, I got curious about um, the doctrine of hell because I was, so I was a music pastor at the time actually. And um, the, there was that big controversy where Rob Bell came out with that book called Love Wins, which is basically just pop culturizing universalism, where God doesn't really punish anybody. There's no such thing as hell, really. And then, you know, Francis Chan comes out with Erasing Hell, and that was a really good rebuttal to it. But 
you know, I'm in seminary at the time. I'm brand new to pastoring and I'm just firing on all doctrinal cylinders, taking everything in. And I didn't really have a grid for interpreting a lot yet. I was developing that. So I thought, okay, I hear what Rob Bell is saying and I see why that's heresy. I hear what Francis Chan is saying. That seems to make sense to me, but I don't want to be a fanboy either. I want to dig in and, you know, my, my parents and my Sunday school teachers, they gave me the tools to be able to investigate this stuff. So I did a, a deep dive on the doctrine of hell and I got so terrified that people would go there. You know, and I was like, this is a real thing. And then I just thought about like, who do I hate enough to not mind that they're on their way there? And, you know, I'm ashamed to say I still act like that. There are a lot of people that are on their way to hell that I have an opportunity to intersect with. And I don't probably the majority of the people I see. Right. Um, And it doesn't mean it it doesn't mean you got to, you know, that that you have to um, sacrifice a pleasant interaction with your your clerk at the grocery store every single time or else you're not faithful. But it's just a matter of like. Like seeing the world in, in terms of, okay, I've got a mission here. And if I don't tell, if I don't tell somebody the gospel on the plane next to me, they may never hear it, right? Um, sovereignty of God, yes. But that was where my level of responsibility kind of kicked in because hell is what's on the line. So it was the doctrine of hell that turned me into an evangelist, really. And then I went to, um, I was like, I don't even know how to share the gospel with somebody. And so I, I did what no Christian should ever do. And I went to YouTube and I said, how do you share the gospel or, you know, how to evangelize or whatever. And I saw some of the freakiest, weirdest stuff. I see guys on the street just like, uh, you know, oh, there's a guy over there. I can tell by the aura around him that he's lost. And so I'm going to go and speak in tongues over him and then walk away and he's going to be saved. And, you know, the, the, the quack um, healings and stuff. YouTube was a terrible place to learn about evangelism. But what ended up happening was I was working under a great pastor at the time and I just went to him and I was like, I don't know how to lead somebody to Christ. And so he just started bringing me into the office while he was having gospel conversations with people. And then he'd let me take some and then he would just send some over to my office and things like that. And then between that and the hunger to just see people saved, I'm out there evangelizing on my own anyway. And it was, it was like I told my music students, you know, repetition is the mother of skill. I don't know that I've got any skill in it really, but it was just a matter of like, now, the way that I'll do this with people, if they say the same thing, I really want to learn to share the gospel. I'll just take them door to door in a city that they don't live in. And it's like, you're going to screw it up. Just get the door slammed in your face. Get your embarrassing reps out of the way. Realize that you're not made of glass and you're going to be okay. Worst thing that happens is somebody gets saved. (laughs) You know, like, what are you really risking? So, well, no, sorry, I said that wrong. Worst thing that happens is that nobody gets saved, but they're already not saved, right? Best thing that happens is somebody does get saved. So we'll just go and just kind of get some reps out of the way. And that that was kind of one of the big turning points for me. I was, I was terrified of hell for other people, not for myself, because the gospel's real. And then I just had to put one foot in front of the other, see what happens. Gotcha. So you didn't go to some special like ninja evangelism training school where you've now become a specialist before you went out and shared the gospel. No, and if somebody said that there was a, such a school, I would doubt it's helpfulness right because don't you think that it i mean one of the fears that i've had and others had is is i i'm not sure that i could do this well yeah you can't and and so you're saying the solution is repetition there's yeah well repetition is a means to something repetition is a means to confronting some hard truths right like we are insufficient for this you know i mean the people are such individuals that there is no cookie cutter approach to the gospel that's going to meet everybody's need and answer everybody's question and so you're interacting with a person in front of you and you're not playing with a full deck you don't know everything about their heart you can't see it you only know what they're giving you and what they're giving you can vary on how genuine it is how uh, robust a, a, an information a data set you're dealing with and so on top of all of that you're going to screw it up. You're going to miss an opportunity. You're going to fumble over your words. You're going to spout heresy once in a while and say something imprecise without realizing it and worry that you left them with the wrong impression. It's the, what the repetition does 
is it makes you not so scared of things because you realize you that, that God has not cast you aside and you're just going to get better at it next time. Yeah, God's called us to a commission. Our response should be obedience, yeah. not perfection, right? We're people under grace and not, not a law. And so our evangelism is not trying to measure up to, hey, I, I can finally do this well. Yeah. It's more Christ has sent me. I will proclaim because ultimately the words that I speak um, are not what save people. It's ultimately the work of the spirit. He simply called me to open my mouth yep. and tell the truth. Pave the road, man. Well, yeah, and I think there's a myth about the gift of evangelism too, that when people have the gift of evangelism, like I don't even know if that's the kind of thing that you should claim, but a lot of people tell me I've got it. So let's just go with that for a second, okay? So if I've got the gift of evangelism, that doesn't mean I'm good at it. What it means is that God throws a lot of people in front of me that say, what must I do to be saved, <laughs> right? Yeah. You've seen this happen with me where, where people just come up to me and be like, you know, oh, I'm really struggling with God right now. Can you help? Yeah, I'm like, you're like in line at Dairy Queen. And yeah. You're, you're like, I, I was going to get a blizzard, but yeah, we can help. It happens all the time, right? That's what the gifting looks like. It's not something that I'm doing well. It's something that God's like, I'm going to use this particular person to do more of this than average. Well, and, and, and the gifts of the Spirit are for the building up the body of Christ, and so it seems that the Spirit would empower your speaking of the gospel in a unique way. Oh, yeah. Uh, we never measure our success in proclaiming the gospel by the number of converts. We measure it by faithfulness. Right. I think when we see a large number of converts by somebody, that's when we say the Spirit was uniquely at work there. Yeah, and maybe, maybe not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's also possible that the person just has a a very charismatic personality and people want to follow him and they all end up falling away later because it was a false gospel. I mean, who knows? Which, by the way, you do have a very charismatic personality. Well... Just as a compliment. I don't want to take over your podcast or anything. I'm worried that by the next episode, I'll be hosting. I think you would make an excellent podcast host. <laughs> I'll take that worth, under consideration. Probably a lot better but, better than I am. Well, and, and something that you brought up there is like, you know, it's not our words that save people. I have been shocked sometimes at the stuff that I have said that has been that one thing that God used to, to make the light bulb come on for that person. And it's like, I never... The other, um, the other week, a couple weeks ago, I lead a guy to Christ from uh, Psalm 50, which is like one of the most gut-wrenching psalms in the Bible where God's like, look, I don't want your offerings. This is all crap to me. Shut the temple door. Get rid of it. You know? And he says, um, don't offer me any sacrifices. If I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. And then he says, now, who are you to, keep, to take my covenant in your mouth? Now, you stop this or I will tear you to pieces. Right? That's Psalm 50. And yet, I'm sitting there talking to this guy from uh, Iraq. And we were talking about sin and, and he's, I'm like, so you agree that you've sinned. What, what do you think you do about that? And he goes, dude, I, I don't know. You know, I said, well, could you offer a, a sacrifice? And he says, for what? God's not hungry. And <laughs> I'm like, first off, great response. Second, I said, you know, that's in the Bible, right? And he was like, where? So I flip open to Psalm 50 and he says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you all of these things are mine. Right. And he was like, I had a thought that was God's thought. And I said, yeah. It's because you're in the image of God, right? You were made for... So then that just leads into all this stuff about like, you know, what's in the Bible and do I agree with Mm -hmm. it or not? So I lay out the gospel for him and he's just like, that's what I've been looking for. So who would have thought, right? I mean, the the stuff that that God uses, we are in zero control of. Yeah. So so riffing off of this idea that one of the objections I think Christians give to sharing the gospel is training. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm not a specialist and we're told you don't need to be. Give me a quick list. What are other objections that Christians give you to sharing the gospel to opening their mouths and speaking the words. Yeah. I'm, I'm not gifted. Um, there's, there's lack of training, but then there's also just, I'm not gifted. And usually that one comes with a finger pointed at me. I'm not gifted like you, or I'm not a pastor, right? I have the wrong title or position or or whatever. Um, or, you know, also sometimes depending on what end of the theological spectrum somebody's coming from, they'll say, look, 
God, like on one side, they'll say, God has already revealed himself to everybody. It's, he doesn't need me. So right? not my problem. Yeah. Or on the other side, God's sovereign over everything. I've heard of this doctrine of election. God doesn't need me. So again, not my problem. Not my problem, right? <laughs> so there's various ways of disavowing this uh, or kind of um, offloading this from your own shoulders um, and various kinds of moralizing. There's also uh, the, the Jonah thing, not these people. Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing that the darker our culture gets, the more I hear that these guys have had their chance, you know? Yeah, we'd kind of be okay if the people who get saved are the people who live in our neighborhood and work our jobs and kind yeah. of look like us and talk like us and not like the people that we mock on the news. Yeah, and this is not an unreasonable line of thinking. It's not biblical, but I get where they're coming from, where they're like, look, this country has had so much access to the goodness of God for so long, and we, we as a culture are saying we don't want it, so screw them. Yeah. You know, turn them over to their sin. God don't does. Don't throw your pearls before swine. Right, exactly. So you get a lot of those those lines of thinking that have elements of biblical in um uh, biblical thought process but in the end it winds up being a way out of our commission we saw this with chaz right we, we went over to chaz when that whole thing was going on and we shared the gospel with the the anarchists and domestic terrorists over there um but you know some people i invited them to go they were like hey you want you, you want to roll with us and they were like those guys have already made their decision I'm good. So that's that's the Jonah model. Right, right. And and the problem is, is that when we're told not to throw our pearls before swine, it seems like what would happen is that we only know that after we've thrown them. Uh, we're never called to hoard our pearls. That's a great point. Right, we're, we're we, it, probably the picture that Jesus is going more for is that after we have thrown our pearls to the swine, we shake our heads and say, that was a waste. Well, and it's the same thing as dusting, as shaking the dust off your feet. That implies mm-hmm. that you had the dust on your feet to begin with. Yeah, and, and then maybe the, the big principle we have to land on when it comes to evangelism, Christians, brothers, sisters, it's simply opening your mouth, speaking the simple truth, the good news about Jesus Christ. I, it, it can be scary. Some it, some training will help. Yep. Right? Gifting can help. Being with other people who can help. These are things that can help, but none of them are disqualifiers. Yeah. Our, our qualification for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Christ found us. He brought the gospel to us. He made us new. He filled us with his spirit. And he said, go. Yeah. And so we go. Second we Corinthians speak. 4, I believe it's verse 16. It says, I believe, therefore I spoke. Right? And he's quoting Psalm 116 there, which is funny because it's in a totally different context. In Psalm 116, it's very bad news. I believe, and there, I believe when I said, or I believed and, and so I spoke, that all men are liars. Right? Well, that's, that's a very dark thought in a psalm that's about death. But then Paul yanks that into 2 Corinthians 4, and he says, look, we believe, therefore we speak. So there may have only been bad news before about death, but now we've got the good news. And if we believe it, what else are we going to do? Like, what am I going to do? Keep my mouth shut? That's insane. And that's another thing that I hear sometimes about um, hesitancy to go and share the gospel with people is that they're worried they're going to get something wrong, right? I don't know enough. I can't answer the questions, right? Which I guess goes back to the training thing, but they just feel like they've got a partial gospel. And it's like, look, that's not actually true. That's either a misconception by you or a lie from the devil. You, If you are qualified to stand in front of the throne of grace, which you are qualified by the work of Christ, if you're qualified to do that, you're qualified to invite somebody else because he handed you the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. Jesus rose from the dead for your sins or died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead for, for your, your sins. And you need to believe that. Yep. Any Christian can say that. And we all know that because that's what we believe, yep. right? That that's the heart of, of who we are. Yep. And and so so let's think then how how do you help other people come along? So we've talked about their fears and and their objections, perhaps even to sharing the gospel. But you're a pastor of a church. You're primary commission from God is not to go and proclaim the gospel to the lost, but to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So walk me through how you think through equipping your church for the ministry of 
proclaiming the gospel, evangelizing. Yeah, well, there's a million practical things to do, and a lot of those are opportunity-based. You know, oh, we could do another uh, walk around. We'll get a map out and just, you know, you're assigned to this street and this street and whatever. Send them with people who, who have done it before and aren't freaked out. Um, but I think, really, aside from all the practical stuff, well, I shouldn't say it that way. Aside from the techniques, the best thing that we can do is lead our church to pray. Right, because evangelism, I learned this from David Platt a long time ago, not personally, but like, you know, I heard him say this in a sermon. He says, when we go out and we evangelize, what we're doing is asking God to let us participate in something he's already doing. I can't create a spiritual hunger or need in somebody, um, but what I can do sometimes, by the grace of God, is go and speak the words that he's using to do these things. And a lot of times, most of the time, you find that when you are sharing the gospel with somebody, you're speaking to questions that God has already been bringing up in their mind, right? And then he sends you in to be a part of the process. And so prayer before that is just huge because if you ask God to do this stuff, he often says yes. (laughs) You know what I mean? I was talking with a a dad out there at uh, U Medical at the Crisis Pregnancy Center in town here, uh, one of them. And I'm sitting there talking to him while his girlfriend's in the other room and he doesn't know if his life is about to fall apart or not. You know, is is there a baby on the way? What's up? And so he kind of, he said, well, I've never been very, you know, religious. I believe God's out there, but I'm not into him. And I'm like, that sounds pretty opinionated. Like, why? So the story there was his his three-year-old sister, years ago, his three-year-old sister died in a house fire. Okay. Um, It's terrible. Yeah. And the dad rushed in and got her, but then the house came down on top of him and the dad got out, but with her, but she was already dead by that point. Dad gets third degree burns from his neck down, is in a body cast for six months. I mean, this is as bad as it gets, right? And so he's he's telling me all of this, and he's just like, so you tell me how God is good, right? Where's God in all this? He said, I don't think we're here by accident, but whatever God put us here, also let that happen. So if you can explain to me how God is good, then maybe we'll talk. And so, you know, it was like, okay, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life is not going to work there. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's because that's not answering questions that he's asking. But we did get to have a great gospel conversation there, like a really great one, because God had brought these questions up. And they maybe maybe were in the form of accusations. They were sinful questions at this point, right? But they were there. And so then he sent me in and we intersected pathways and God used me to kind of give him a different way of of considering the goodness of God in these things. And we had a great conversation. And, and you're saying the beginning of that is praying. Yeah, God, help well, me to see the situations in front of me. Help me to have the words to say, to, to be open to sharing the gospel, to find the people who need to hear it, and then say the things that they need to hear. Yeah, so this guy was an answer to those prayers, and prayers like that. Yeah, so this and, is where I got from that that passage in Colossians. Paul first asks them to pray for an open door, to yep. proclaim the mystery of the word, and then he says, walk in wisdom towards mm-hmm. outsiders. So there's, there's a balance here of, oh, it's not a balance, it, it's not to both hand. Yeah. It's pray, and then when you go, go with wisdom. So how do you encourage people to go with wisdom, to walk in wisdom before outsiders, those outside the gospel? Yeah, so good question. So where does wisdom come from, right? First Corinthians 1, Jesus Christ is our wisdom. I'm by hungry the way, for it. Yeah, nice name for, for the wisdom. podcast, by Thank the you. way. I'm, that was great. Um, the uh, This is the most self-congratulatory <laughs> interview I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> um, but wisdom, wisdom comes from God through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit illuminates the text for us, um, and we can't have any wisdom apart from the Spirit's work in us. Because in 1 Corinthians 2, in the very next chapter, it says, look, all of this stuff is nonsense unless you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, in which case what God says is the, the power of God unto salvation, right? Paul says also in Romans 1 that I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to salvation. So the wisdom to... to the ability to walk in wisdom comes from a couple of things. First, it goes back to just that that prayer life, right? Are you actually a, 
are you representing God as an ambassador for as an ambassador for Christ, knowing that you're saying what He has said? You know, and that comes from prayer. That comes from a lot of time in the text. I think the more grounded you are in the text, the more meaning the more Bible you've got in your head, the more options you have when you've got a gospel opportunity with somebody. It's like whatever Bible you have in your head, whether it's memorized or you're just very familiar with this or that story in the Bible or whatever, that's the library that the Holy Spirit is drawing from moment by moment and bringing just the right text to the front of your mind when this person in front of you needs it. It's a very miraculous thing, but it's also not impossible to prepare for, right? So prayer, time alone with God, man, prayer, and then Bible input in your head, that gives you everything that God requires to have you walking in wisdom. So you've got to be praying. You've got to be reading the scripture. And another thing you do well uh, in your preaching is making clear the gospel, restating it, connecting it to every passage, Jesus' death and resurrection. And that, that equips your people. Uh, yeah. So if you're, you're sitting here listening to sermons, if you happen to ever attend Grace and Truth Community. And hypothetically. Hypothetically. And you're listening to the sermons of Pastor Dustin, like you, you're getting equipped each week. In, in hearing again and again and again the good news about what Jesus has done and, and the beauty of, of a, a long-term, consistent preaching ministry is it helps spell out all the nuances and all the beauties of the gospel. And you just never know that, that the sermon, what, what passage are you preaching on this Sunday? Uh, Luke 20, the end of Luke 20. So you're, in, you're in the end of Luke 20. Like you just don't know that the word you hear on, on the Lord's Day from your pastor may be the very word that your coworker needs to hear this next week. Oh man, and you see this all the time as a pastor too, right? Where people are like, were you, do you know what's going on in my life? Is that why you said that? Have you been reading my text messages? Because that's exactly what I needed for this and that. And we just believe in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, the Holy we Spirit just does it. Because so, I just turn the page and preach the next verse. Yeah, and you see the gospel. I mean, to your point, you see the gospel in places where you didn't expect to see it before, right? And so, like, uh, one of my favorite examples, or one of my favorite memories of this was uh, in Tim Keller's book on prayer. And it's just called Prayer. Phenomenal book, right? And he made this comment, and he just made it in passing. He just said it and then just kept on walking. I'm like, no, go back to that. That was huge. And what he said was he was talking about Moses in Exodus 33 and 34. And he says, uh, you know, he said, Lord, show me your glory. And God said, look, that's, that's not the best thing for you. So I'm going to hide you in there, cover you with my hand. You can see my back. And, and the comment he made was, so God protected Moses from God. That's the gospel. And I was like, oh. I've never seen it in that passage before. And yet how many times since then have I been talking to somebody and I'm like, dude, you're at war with God and you're going to lose. You need to be protected from the pathway that you're on. And God has offered to do that. So that's an inroad to the gospel. Actually that phrase, you're at war with God and you're going to lose. That came from your buddy that you introduced me to uh, Bruce. Bruce. Yes. Yeah. I heard him preaching one time and I was like, I am stealing that. Yeah. And, and that's what we all do, right? This is why we're a body of Christ and yep. not just like those skilled people leading the unskilled. Uh, that's not how God has designed his church. We are a body. And so one of the most healthy things that any Christian can do is to share about your experiences in evangelism and listen as others share and, and learn from each other. It's this whole, again, going back to that repetition thing that, that we just repeatedly speak of Christ yeah. to build each other up. We, rec- we repeatedly share with each other about the ways in which we're proclaiming Christ, and all of this is building us up and equipping us to go out and, and complete the commission that Christ has given us to go and, and make disciples. Yeah, and the idea of skill is not, even even though it's, skill is not necessary to be an evangelist, I don't want to discount it because all that is is, is um, you know developing something that God has given you, right? So Paul tells Timothy, like, hey, you take that gift and you fan it into flame. Well, that's a very active process. And if you try to fan a fire, it you're going to sweat. You burn some calories, right? And so it is good to develop skill over the long haul as an evangelist, but that is not the entry bar. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so let's let's imagine a scenario where you are here speaking to your church, you're trying to equip them to evangelize, and and you preach a sermon, and and you say if you you want to come up and talk and and receive some advice about maybe how you can share the gospel, why don't you come up to the front after the worship service, and I'll help you. And so suddenly a long line forms, which probably makes you feel good about your sermon, and you like, oh good, the Lord is at work here, right? The, and and a long line forms, and there's a long line of people, and they all are saying, okay. I want to get serious about this. I want to share the gospel. Here's my scenario, though, and, and, and in my life situation, how does this fit? So I'm just going to roll through a whole list of sorts of people, and I want you to say what would be the quick advice that you would give, and let's start with your hero, my hero, the stars of this world, the gems of this universe, stay-at-home moms. Stay-at-home moms, Yes. Uh, okay, lightning round. Stay-at-home mom. First off, uh, stay-at-home moms, you are a missionary to an unreached people group that is known by whatever your last name is. Okay. So my wife is a missionary to the Myers people group. Um, yeah. So don't, I mean, don't discount your kids, right? God has put them right in front of you. That, that is the most high impact, beautiful evangelism that I can think of. And I'm a pastor and a missionary. I get to share the gospel with a lot of people in a lot of really cool settings. And I get a lot of fun stories to tell. I got to think that a mom explaining the gospel to her kids in a discipline situation is probably more beautiful to God. If I could talk that way than anything that I get to do in a third world country. Yeah. And the, and the advice is over at this point. Cause she's off chasing a little kid who's yeah. running away. Right. So you, you right. just commissioned her. So now what about, let's say her husband who's working 60 hours a week, busting his knuckles, blue collar working at a construction site. How does he share the gospel? Well, real quick, let me say one more thing about, about moms. Uh, think multi-generationally. It can seem sometimes like it's drudgery and you're not making any progress in a day. Long haul, man. Long haul. And, and they will rise up and call you blessed. And you will, you will, you're gaining a credibility that they will listen to down the road. And other moms and other kids will listen to. So the work that you're putting in now is going to yield gospel fruit later and aid in that evangelism as well. So multi-generational thinking. All right. So, so dads working 60 hours a week. What do they do? Well, what's your advice on how they can share the gospel in their lives? Not just with their children, but let's say like at work. Yeah. Um, so prayer in the morning that God would, uh, you know, make you aware of the opportunities that he has put there. You're going to be around lost people, right? I'm a pastor. I hang out with a lot of Christians. I'm still around a lot of lost people, <laughs> you know? So just, just pray for, for, um, attentiveness to the, to the problems. And then, you know, push on doors and see what opens. Not, not everybody in their context. Do they get to some people have gag orders on them? You can't talk about the gospel here. You can't talk about your, your religion here or whatever, but in almost all of those situations, if somebody else brings it up, you're allowed to have the conversation, right? So you push on doors and you see what opens. We've got some guys that are electricians and pipe fitters and garbage truck drivers, and they're some of the most prolific evangelists. And I don't mean in terms of conversions because they're not seeing a large number of people, but I mean, in terms of efficiency, you know, I'll share the gospel with 150 people. Maybe one of them will come to Christ, you know, in five years, they'll share the gospel with three guys and one of them gets saved. You know what I mean? So all, all they're doing, I find most of the time is they're, they're saying, you know, cause you talk about life or whatever. And they're saying, well, yeah, why is that? Well, where's, why, where's that fear come from? That doesn't seem helpful, you know? And <laughs> you just start pushing on doors and seeing what, opens. I call it stepping on landmines and seeing what blows up. Right. But the, um, the, whatever image you want to use for it. And then one guy that, uh, that I know, actually this was, um, Devin Lorraine, who has been a guest on this podcast before he runs grace kitchen now with his wife. And when he was in the workaday world, he went into the you know factory or whatever it was, they had a team meeting and they were like, all right, so meet the new guy. 
and you know a couple of new guys there and so Devin said yeah so I'm Devin here's what I do here's what I've done before and I just want everybody to know like I'm not going to say this a whole lot from here on out but if you guys got any questions about Jesus or what happens after you die or any of that I know some of you guys may be at that place in life at some point you can feel free to come and talk to me I'm not going to judge you or anything like that and that was it <laughs> he got to, you know and and he was that conversation opened doors down the road almost as if your coworkers should not be surprised if they find out you're a Christian if you've been around them for a little while, yeah. right? You can do simple things like I was at church this last Sunday. My family and I are Christians. Like stating those simple things, yep. it, it can be, uh, that's not sharing the gospel, but it's an open door to sharing the gospel. Yeah, it could be, you know, and, and the other thing too is wait for opportunities. You don't need to, to you know, God is the Lord of time as, as the saying goes. And a lot of times when somebody that you work with has a crisis in life and they, they do that first Peter three fifteen thing, can you give me a reason for the hope that, that's within you? You can't schedule those things and you can't induce them. So you just got to be known by the name of Christ and be ready when the, when the knock comes on your door. Yeah, so we used to have these category of people called desk junkies who worked in jobs and cubicles where all they did was sit at a desk all day mm. long. I've heard desk jockey. That sounds a little less respectful. Uh, yeah, well, it depends on how you see the desk. But, you know, what's <laughs> shifted, of course, in our world now with the, the internet and then with, of course, all these crazy things that have happened the last few years is now we have a huge army of people who work from home, home office by yourself. You know, you're not rubbing shoulders with other people. Mm-hmm. How could you encourage? And they say, I want to, I want to evangelize. And we're assuming they're faithful in their family. Like what, what are they supposed to do? They're inside all day by themselves. You're talking about the, the people that want to evangelize that are inside, or they're trying to reach people that don't go outside. The people who are inside who want to evangelize. Got it. But they're okay. just tied down to home in a desk all day long. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, a couple of things. First off, even if you're working from home, chances are you've got various interactions with people. Our, our uh, Pastor Greg, he just called me up a couple months ago. He said, hey, um, we got this guy. I was sharing the gospel with him, and he wants to be a believer. Can you take him out to lunch? And I'm like, why don't you take him out to lunch? You know? <laughs> he, said, he said, I don't know. You know, just age-wise and, and personality-wise, I think he would, you know, listen to you more. I said, okay. So um, I said, how'd you meet this guy? He says, well, he's a stay-at-home guy. He never leaves his house. And I said, well, how are you talking to him? Well, we were talking about work stuff because we, you know, I was telecommuting and this and that. So somehow, somehow this was not a problem for the Holy Spirit, right? So opportunities are going to come from surprising places. That's one. Second, get on out there. You know, if you're worried that you're at home too much, do your work day and then go somewhere. Join a softball league. Meet some people. Yeah, take yeah. your kids somewhere. I mean, you know, whatever. So there's, or even just yesterday, I was on a Zoom call, and and as it was ending, there wasn't a lot of interaction. A guy just shot me a message and said, hey, you want to talk for a little bit afterwards? Yeah. And and it was like a 15-minute conversation. We just, did another, we just opened up another screen, and he's in Switzerland, and I'm in I'm in the United States. Boom. But like, we got to actually know each other for 15 minutes. We're going to be on a Zoom call all, yep. all the time, and, and anybody can do that. Yeah. It's not against the rules. One of my favorite things to do is um, I I realized at one point I've got a captive audience with tech support people and um, and, well, just folks like that. So Apple, right? I got I got an iPhone. I got a Mac. Sometimes these things don't communicate right. And it's like, okay, I'll call up tech support. Well, I know that they're going to have me run some update that's going to take 15 minutes and it's going to be that awkward silence on the phone. They can't go anywhere. You know how many gospel presentations I've gotten in with, with iPhone and, and they say, can I put you on hold? And you say, no, you may not put me on hold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Let's actually, they've, going. they've never asked me that. I remember one time back in the day, I had a Rosetta Stone program. I was trying to learn some language, which Rosetta Stone was not a great way to do it. But, um, you know, I was, I was on a chat with them trying to get it to, to work. And I was like, hey, have you ever, you know, 
like, where are you at with Jesus or whatever it was? I ended up, they said, well, I can't, I can't give you my information to send me anything. So I was sending links to articles and, and little video clips and stuff over the chat. <laughs> you know, I mean, just why not? And I'm never going to find the, the results of that. I mean, maybe I'll find out in heaven someday, but dude, there's all kinds of, outlets. and if we follow the tra- the track from that, it starts with prayer. God, help me to see where you're working, put people in my life, put words in my mouth. And then, and then it's the opportunities arise and they could be all sorts of little and crazy things or big monumental yeah. things. And, and then you're an available worker. So, so let's talk about the most fearless, shameless, bold group of people. I know children. Yeah. How do you encourage children to share the gospel? Get out of the way. Right. Even, even if it's completely a messed up gospel presentation, <laughs> you say that your kids get out of the way. Let daddy talk. No, I get out of the way. You get them. out of the way. Yeah. Oh, I got you. So we were, uh, we were going on a road trip one time and, um, we were going through a drive through at Subway because we're like, we got to get some kids, uh, get these kids some food before we hit the road. So my oldest, he says, uh, he was maybe six or seven at the time. He goes, hey, can I order my own sandwich? And me and Emily were like, okay. So we roll down the back window and he, you know, pull up a little bit and, we, and he, he talks out the, at the window. And um, he doesn't even order the sandwich. The way I remember it is he just goes, are you a Christian? And the lady's like, you can hear the voice. I'm, I'm sorry, son, what? He's like, do you believe in Jesus? And me and Emily are sitting in the front just laughing. And it was like, it was a little bit embarrassing. And so the first temptation was like, but that's not appropriate right now. She's here to do a job. But we were kind of like, see where this goes. <laughs> yeah. Like who's going to tell an eight year old, like, sorry, I, I'm not going to talk to you about it. Yeah. And, and it gets awkward and it puts our relationships with adults at risk sometimes, or, or my kids will evangelize somebody else's kids when the parents are kind of hostile to Christ. And that's a risk in our relationship, right? Let it go. Yeah. Let it go. So, so you're saying parents get out of the way. Yeah. If your kids love the Lord Jesus. Let them speak of the Lord Jesus. Yes. And recap it with them afterwards. Right. Yeah. Because it, you, you got to guide their message because they're going to say stuff. It's, it's entirely insane and it's not the gospel. Right. Fine. Just, just go later and say, Hey, so why, why'd you say that? You know, or maybe next time you could try yeah, this yeah, and I, encourage them. Encourage you, know, you know what them. I would have said there? I'd have said something like this and then give them another idea. But yeah, that's the long haul. Yeah. And as adults, we know that like the fear and the shame and those sorts of things that'll creep in as we start to overthink these things will come to those children eventually. So yeah. getting those reps in early is yeah. so, so sweet. Yeah. And one of the things that I pray for, for my kids and other people's kids is that they, they, they get saved young before they can accumulate a bunch of scar tissue in life. Right. And one of the ways that I pray about that is I say, I never want them to remember a time where they, they weren't following Christ. Right. That could apply to evangelism also. It's like if, if my kids never remember a time when they weren't talking about the gospel with somebody at some point in their life, then that's a win, right? It's just, it's what they've always done and it's comfortable for them because you always go back to what you know. Yeah. So you, you already mentioned people who maybe have restrictions on them. And I was thinking particularly of people who work in the public school system, which yep. just a plug, we did a previous episode on public schools, homeschools, and what, what the purpose of those. Definitely recommend you go back and check out that episode. Um, but- but you did a, a great interview there, Tim. That wow. was, you know, thank you. Phenomenal. Thank you. Actually, it was a guest. We had someone in <laughs> sitting in my, sitting in my place. So I uh, really appreciated that, that time off there. But, but what, what do you say to somebody who say works in a public school or works in a setting where there, there is a restriction, you are not allowed to proselytize. And if I could just project a little bit into the future, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that will only increase yeah. that Christians are not allowed to speak of the gospel while on the clock. What's your encouragement to those people? Uh, a couple of things, get ready to be fired. Okay. And, and just confront the possibility, right? If, if God, if God makes it eminently clear to me that this person needs to hear the gospel, but it might cost me everything, 
like it did Jesus when he accomplished the gospel for us. Am I willing to do that? And don't wait till you're in that moment to make the decision because you'll make the wrong one, right? So when the pressure's on, that's the wrong time to decide your values. So just be ready for the gospel to cost you your job and decide that you're going to trust God that he's going to provide for you. Okay? Now, hopefully that doesn't happen and you don't need to go and induce that situation and then claim some sort of like, uh, you know, uh, victimhood or special category of righteousness. So be ready for that. And then what you do is you follow the rules every in, in every single detail unless it's in direct conflict with a passage of scripture, right? Um, but there's also a... Th- this situation carries twin truths. When you're not allowed to speak the gospel, one truth is you've got a gag order on you. The other truth is that's an oppressive environment that crushes people's souls, and people are statistically far more likely to look for light in that scenario. So you get a lot more opportunities off the clock. You get a lot more opportunities in times of crisis. The light shines brightest in the darkness, right? So embrace the situation and be ready to lose it all if, uh, if it's time to stop doing that. Yeah, but you could probably be really strategic, right? Big Inviting time. your coworkers over to your house. Hey, off yeah. the clock, right? We're, we're not on right now. Yeah, and referrals are always helpful. Oh, dude, I was doing a uh, funeral one time, right? And it was, uh, it was a, a kid, very sad situation. It was, it was a high school kid, and he was on a sports team with, he was very popular, and it was a, a well-attended funeral, and he was on a, uh, a sports team with some kids from our church, right? Well, the, the mom told me, I don't want any Jesus talk. I don't want any of that. And I had already committed to do the service by the time she sprung this on me, right? So, like, if she had said that up front, I'd be like, well, you need to call somebody else other than a pastor. Like, this is, yeah. you know. But the family was hurting. I'm already through the planning process. She kind of pulls me aside and was like, hey, by the way, no Jesus talk. And I'm just thinking, are you serious? So I show up, and I'm like, normally when people tell me that, I'm, I'm like, yeah, but okay, you can pray at the beginning and at the end and read a well-selected scripture. It's still tradition. Even in this culture, it's still tradition. So I can I can share hope with people in a limited fashion, right? But this time she was like, hard no. So I'm thinking, oh, God, what am I going to do here? So I, I go to the funeral. I still hadn't made up my mind about, about what... Because one thing you can't do is neglect to speak hope to a room full of people that need hope, right? But I hadn't quite figured it out. And you know me, I'm not really into uh, like preparing for stuff. So I'm walking in there. Or rules and restrictions. <laughs> I walk in there in, in my suit with the book and I'm kind of looking around and I'm praying. I'm like, all right, God, I haven't figured this out yet, but if I walk out of here without the gospel being shared, we got problems, right? So what do I do? So I realized, I look around the, the room and there's grace and truth kids all over the place, you know, high schoolers, middle schoolers, whatever. So I kind of rounded them up and I pulled them aside and I was like, hey guys, listen, I got a gag order on me today. You don't. There's a reception here and people here need the gospel. Now the parents have decided I am not allowed to share it with them in public. You guys have no such restrictions. Go. So in that case, it wasn't time for a, assuming I was right about this, it wasn't time for a preacher. It was time for relational evangelism. And all I had to do was activate some people, right? And then where I would have gotten a few minutes on a microphone, they got three hours to sit with people and cry with them. Yeah, so creativity. Again, it's being creative, being strategic. One thing we probably should do more is learn from our brothers and sisters around the world who are sharing the gospel in far more hostile environments and and are being very faithful at it is to ask, what do they do? Mm -hmm. And you might actually learn from brothers and sisters, say, in in the the Far East and be able to apply those same exact things in your workplace in America where there are restrictions put on you that are not nearly as oppressive nor nearly as costly. And so look out and see what people are doing. I think a lot of this comes from just filling our minds and our heads with so much information about what God is doing in the world, what he has done in his word. And and we don't do this just so we can be smart. We do it because we love the Lord. We want to know who he is and what he is doing. 
and and as our love for him increases, our love for others increases, and and the opportunities. Oh yeah, abound. And, and read history too, right? Christian history is is incredible. The first three centuries of Christian history are incredible with their the, the creativity with which people shared the gospel. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we could keep going through a wonderful list of people. You yes. have one more that you want to give out? No, I just thought of something in terms of uh, guys that are at home on the computer all the time. Um, global media outreach. I partnered up with these guys a while ago, um, and it's a great ministry. What they do is they get uh, Facebook ads, they purchase Facebook ads, and then you know it's like felt needs type of stuff. Like, hey, are you about to kill yourself or whatever? And they put them in all languages across the world because everybody in the world's on Facebook now because Zuckerberg apparently you know owns everything. I don't know. So they'll see this ad and click on it and then they'll get linked up with you. And it all goes through a translator and this and that. But um, yeah, you can share the gospel with people in Iran and Brazil and Wyoming in the same day. So that's something you can do from a screen. That is spectacular. Why don't we do shift then to saying, what are some resources? What are, if, if people want to go deeper and learn more, what are maybe a couple of books they could pick up? Maybe a, even if there's you, a, Good YouTube channels, you might recommend yeah. them or whatever. What resources do you point people to to learn more and grow more as they're out practicing? Yeah, first thing is read the book of Acts with, with a specific eye towards evangelism techniques. That was where the um, the resurrection thing came in. I, I read through Acts and I looked at all the gospel presentations and I realized not a single time did they leave out the resurrection. And I always had. I'm like, yeah, the resurrection is an important Christian doctrine. It's vital. But it's really weird, and so it's something you can handle in the discipleship process. It's kind of down the road. And I realized, no, these guys, they make that a deal breaker up front, right? And so read the book of Acts and look for what evangelism looks like in the Bible, right? Um, so that's, that's the first thing. Just comb through it, take some notes, make some observations. As far as YouTube channels go, there are better ones out there now than when I was doing it. A lot of these um, street evangelist guys give you a lot of really helpful tips, techniques, and just permission to try some stuff and screw up, right? So you think about Ray Comfort, kind of the golden old... Yeah, Living Waters. Yeah, the true classic. I love Ray Comfort. That guy's doing great stuff. I've never understood why people are like, oh, Ray Comfort, please. I'm like, yeah, go listen to him, though. You know, he's the man. Um, Jeff Durbin's doing some good stuff out there with uh, with Apologia Church. Um, So, yeah, there there are decent street preachers out there now. Uh, But, boy, discernment is important. I, I would say check with your pastor. If you, if you find a street preacher and you're like, Hey, what do you think about this guy? Just let somebody get a, a, you know, get a say on that. And then as far as books go, um, I mean, Ray Comfort has written a lot of books. So those are, those are going to be helpful. And basically what he's going to do is bring people to the reality of sinfulness as quickly as possible. And in a very loving and charitable way, by the way, he's not unclear, but he's also not a jerk. And, um, so he brings him to the reality of sinfulness and then he presents Christ as the only possible solution to this. And then he makes the offer. Like, it's just very helpful. So he's written some books out there. I think also um, Michael Green, Evangelism in the Early Church. It's a very boring read, but boy, is it good if you can absorb what's going on in there. And then, um, uh, yeah, there are a lot, of, a lot of good books on evangelism that are written by apologists and stuff. I would you throw know, one more in there, a book called What is the Gospel? by Greg Gilbert. That's that. If yeah. you, if if you don't want to do the long dry read, this is a short lively read. Yeah. Uh, just basically laying out what does the gospel say? Just so you feel a little bit more equipped, you have some more words to say, some some strategies and categories to think in. Yeah, and that one so we use we use what is the gospel by Greg Gilbert a lot around here for evangelistic bible study. So when people are like or you know immediately post conversion. If somebody's like, okay, I believe, what do I do? I'm going to hook them up with, this is Ben's move. When, when pastor Ben came in, I'm like, all right, so new convert, 
what do you do? He says, well, I hook him up with somebody else and I give him Greg Gilbert and they go through it. And that was the first thing out of his mouth. And I'm like, okay. And then I see people coming to Christ and he's actually doing that like almost every single time. Like, oh, hey, I got a little black book for you. And I'm just in the back laughing. I'm like, let me guess, you're going Gilbert? Because it really is that good of a resource, you know? So we make fun of each other now because he's got me on the Gilbert train also. I'm like, I got to, don't tell Ben, but I'm giving you this black book. And Ben's like, I heard that. <laughs> I got you. But Gilbert also put one out called um, Who is Jesus, which is equally as good. Very, very good resource. So, um, yeah, I actually, we, we get we get those those Who is Jesus books, and we just give them away to people to say, have this on your coffee table and send it home with somebody when they're over for dinner or something like that. So, Man, that's excellent. And that, that Pastor Ben sounds like a great guy. I'm going to have to get him on the podcast at some yeah, point. Yeah, he's he's lively on a microphone. Lively on yeah, a microphone. A, a great presence. Well, Pastor Dustin, it has been a joy to have you on Hungry, Hungry for Wisdom. We could probably talk about this all day. This has been super fun. I hope helpful to the people at Grace and Truth. I hope helpful to people at Crossroads Bible Church and, and other places. Um, just for fun, as we wrap it up, I, I just think this would be a, a good time. Why don't you send us off? <laughs> why don't you sign off the podcast just for right. fun I, I know it's not your norm but like see how you can do man we're take really it, take this it thing out are we all right so listen uh the, the world is a messed up place would you say so tim amen but i would also say that how do i want to put this we have a gospel that is perfectly suited to fix it can i get an amen amen to that brother what do i do now i think you hit the music button is that I'm, this one yeah the purple hey you were right Hungry for Wisdom is a ministry of Grace and Truth Community in West Richland, Washington. You can find out more about us on our app, social media, or at graceandtruthcommunity.com. We love Him because He first loved us.